Hi, I'm Steve Sensenig. And I'm Rayburn Johnson. And you're listening to Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box is a community of people who are learning how to live beyond the limitations of institutional religion. We are searching out a message that is truly good news for everyone. Through discussions, interviews, group casts, and online interactions, we endeavor to foster a safe place to discuss our spiritual journey. We don't have all the answers, but we are not afraid of any question. So, grab a seat, pour yourself a drink, and join in the community that is Beyond the Box. It is good to see you. Well, our listeners can't see you right now, but I can see you on our little Skype cam here. That's right. Hey, you're a little blurry, uh, but, definitely good but you're still looking you. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm kind of that way in real life. You know? <laughs> I'm feeling kind of blurry, blurry myself, too. <laughs> it's a blurry day. It's a Monday, Steve. It is. Oh, is it Monday, actually? I, you know what? I've lost track of the days, to be honest. It's... Um, we're at we're at a really cool place right now. We're out in Monahans, Texas, which is in West Texas, at the Monahans Sand Hills State Park. Nice. And I honestly I feel like I'm on the set of Star Wars because there's just all these sand dunes. I saw some and, of the pictures uh, you were taking, and I was like, it looks like he's at the beach. Yeah, it is, but it, it it's like the beach, but without. The ocean, number one, <laughs> and the, the <laughs> what big difference there. And the sand is very different. It, it almost feels like powdered sugar when you pick Weird. it up. It's just this light, fine sand that just blows around in the wind. But it's one of the neatest experiences I've had in a long time. And uh, we've just been enjoying relaxing here. We're here for about four days before we move on toward Arizona and the West Coast. And uh, it, it's been cool. It's been really neat. Today we uh, rented sand discs Kind of like saucers, you know, like you sled on. Right? Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, tried, tried to, say, you know, uh, slide down the sand dunes. It didn't work so well. <laughs> um, it's not quite like snow. There's no moisture to keep it moving, you know. <laughs> but it was fun trying and uh, just climbing up the sand dunes and, you know, walking all over and stuff. It was really cool. That is cool, man. You're getting to see a lot of a lot of interesting and neat places. Yeah, we're having fun and looking forward to getting out to the West Coast. We've only been there briefly uh, a little bit over a year ago, and we're hoping to spend most of the spring and summer, possibly even the fall and winter out there. Very cool. So, But you've been having some exciting stuff in your life, too, huh? Yeah, finally got the, the house sold in North Carolina. Whoop, whoop. So awesome, So I can man. stop those uh, those double house payments, which have just been yeah. beating me yeah. in the gut. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting settled. I actually feel like I live in Tennessee now, you know, we've, where we've been living, we've not, we've, we, uh, have not hung up a picture on the wall. We've not decorated at all, you know, cause it's just been so up in the air for us. So yeah, we're finally, we're here. So, and I mean, we've been here for a year, but we're actually, (laughs) but now you're here, 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 here. No, that's awesome, man. I know that was hanging over your head and boy, lots of, lots of positive thoughts going out your way over the year, trying to get that sold. It's definitely been one of the hardest, one of the hardest years of my life for sure. Between uh, living here for six months on my own and. Right, having yep. double house payments and getting my wife yeah. and kids here and getting trying to get settled in and we've had yep. just a lot of financial stuff come up and 
you know, a lot of that just uh, in conjunction with just the the whole spiritual journey of just continuing mm-hmm. to, you know, Steve, we've been, you and I have been at this for a long time together and I know, you know, you just think you're going to, you just think you're going to hit the bottom at some point and go, uh, you know, there's no further <laughs> deconstructing to do. There's no, <laughs> you know, wish. there's, there's no, uh, there's no stones left unturned, you know, you, you just, right. you think eventually yeah. that's going to happen and it just doesn't. And it doesn't, it just seems like it accelerates more and more and more. And, you know, while it's, yeah. while it's exciting, it can simultaneously be discouraging at times, especially when you couple mm-hmm. that with, you know, being on your own for a long time and being in a new place with a new job and new people. Right. And, you know, so it's just, it's been a, it's been a tough year, so I'm looking forward to to better things. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. I, I can imagine it's going to be really awesome for you to be able to just have your mind focused in one geographical place for a yeah. while and yeah. uh, not to be living that, that sort of – and, of course, now I guess you don't have to worry about cheering for the Panthers or the Bobcats anymore and all the pain that goes with that, right? Hey, 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 <laughs> hey, hey, hey. You're beginning to sound like some people I work with. They're like, so when are you going to switch allegiance to the Titans? I'm like, um, never, <laughs> never. <laughs> but I have That's to say, right. um, I know every, you know, 99% of our listeners aren't going to care a thing about what I'm going to have to say, but the, but for the three That's of right. you out there who do, yes. um, <laughs> it has been the most disappointing free agent market for the Panthers in the history <laughs> of the franchise. And I'm sure Dylan has probably been bringing this to your attention, but just to let you know, the entire wide receiving core for the Carolina Panthers mm is now gone and we literally it's have gone. one person on our roster who has caught two NFL passes in his career. So, we're completely decimated and not only are we decimated, but we have watched every free agent wide receiver that was on the market get picked up by another team. <laughs> get picked up. And we're yeah. all all of Panther Nation is going, "What the heck is Dave Gettleman the GM <laughs> doing? What is he thinking?" I have actually thought about moving back to North Carolina just to try out as a wide receiver because I think they're going to have open <laughs> auditions. I think they're going to have open auditions because the truth yeah. is I've caught as many NFL passes as the majority of the wide receiving core for the Carolina Panthers. And that's not well, maybe, speaking in hyperbole. So you think we're going to see a massive running game for the Panthers this year? <laughs> it's going to be a, it's like people keep saying, we're going to go back to the days of the wing T formation where you had no wide receivers and you put two tight ends right. on the line, two, two, yep. uh, three running backs in the backfield and the quarterback and you just <laughs> ran the ball. So, there okay, go. there was yeah. my one-minute rant, uh, my one-minute burn it. of Panther football. Time's up. <laughs> I, I will I will deliver people from purgatory at this time. Okay, so how are the Bobcats doing? <laughs> hey, now that's another story. <laughs> On the NBA front, the Bobcats are actually looking very, very good, my friend. And they, if the season well, was to end today, not only would we be in the playoffs, but we would be the number six seed, I believe, out wow. of eight seeds in the East, so... All yeah. Right. So there's your Panther, okay. your Bobcat Panther Sports Minute on Beyond the Sports Box. You know, it's funny. There is a Beyond the Box Score podcast. I think I've heard of that. that yeah. That talks about sports. Yeah, I discovered that when we were researching our name, you know, six years ago or whatever. Uh, and and I also found, Ray, this is interesting, and I, I don't know quite how I feel about this, but, I mean, it's it's really no big deal. I actually stumbled the other day across another Beyond the Box podcast. Ah. Oh. That's that's a church 
and they're calling their church Beyond the Box Church, but they are not affiliated with us at all, and I don't think uh, too much about their system or structure really would flow well with our podcast. But it was very interesting because they, they've only been around since September of 2012. That and, is uh, something. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you think, gosh, do we do we worry about brand recognition here and send them a cease and desist letter? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't care. More I know. It's, but, uh, you know, well, yeah. It's a, it's a um, tricky thing, this podcasting, because... You know, you, you try, like you and I are really have been attempting to really, um, put into practice a lot of what we talk about when it comes to community and really turn this podcast into a community and not a top down organization, even a de-organized organization. And yet so many times you, you get around so many corners and you realize just how tough it is to resist the temptation to. Mm-hmm. you know, organize a movement, to, it, you mm-hmm. know, to all of a sudden try and wrangle a movement that by definition right. is supposed to be free range, you know? So it's... Yeah. And, you know, I think if I could talk about this just briefly, I think that has been probably the biggest challenge in our Facebook group because there have been some situations where I have felt like we needed to step in and say some things and, and in fact have, uh, and yet... I always wrestle with the idea of, you know, are we stepping in too much or are we controlling, you know, is where's the line get drawn between being a Facebook group admin and being a spiritual administrator of a group, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I do, I have to say, like, I have so much appreciation for our group because mm-hmm. I think 99.9% of the people in there that participate get it and understand what we're, what we're talking about. Um, but on those rare occasions where it feels like, Oh gosh, you know, do, does it, does our philosophy even work? Is it possible to have community without some kind of authority structure, you know? Um, and I have to confess that, and I'll say it openly to, to everybody listening that, that I wrestle with that. Sometimes I worry yeah. sometimes that maybe, you know, for years I've been accused of being idealistic about my theories of church and, and fellowship and everything. And I think, Oh gosh, maybe this is the point where I find out I really am too idealistic. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's tough because I mean, there's, you know, there's so many times where, you know, you do have the, you have the quote unquote power to step in, but you know, Mm -hmm. you don't know that you really have the authority to do so. The, the moral authority when you're telling people that this is a, this is a flat organization or, you know, however you want to say it's a flat community without, uh, without any kind of hierarchical structure, it really mm-hmm. becomes tough because there's times when it, it is just easier. Not We're not talking about silencing dissent because I don't feel like we've ever silenced dissent, but no. I feel like there's attitudes at times that surface that we yeah. want to silence yeah. um, because we go, gosh, it's just not healthy for the community. But even in that, I'm finding that as you and I talk, especially behind the scenes, you know, you and I are going, gosh, we really this is an experiment in community policing because, you know, one of the things we talk about with nonviolence and, and, um, and like in reading about anarchistic ideal ideology and, you know, things Mm -hmm. like this, you really find that people go, well, you know, what about police functions? Well, you don't give up policing, 
but you give up the yeah. top-down version of policing, and policing becomes an internal thing that's flat-driven, and it's more of a mm-hmm. it's a communal policing. So that instead of Steve or Ray coming in and saying, you know, you really need to you really need to tone it down or whatever, although we can do that too, that right. the the power comes when the whole group starts saying the same thing when there's a consensus yeah. um, of people saying, you know. We, you can say what you want to say doctrinally and theologically and, right. you know, but, but you just, the only thing we're going to have problems with is not what you say. It's how you say it. You need to make sure you stay in bounds and how you say it. Bingo. That, that is, you always say these things so well anyway, but that is really well said that it, there is. And I think a lot of times people, especially if there are, are fairly new to the idea of communal fellowship where it's not top down, I think they sometimes people have trouble separating what's being said with how it's being said. So yeah. when you if if you find the need to confront that and say, "Hey, you know, so and so, can you tone it down a little bit?" they immediately get defensive. What you don't allow dissent? You don't, you know? And it's like, no, it's not that. You can like like you just said, you can say whatever you want doctrinally. You can believe whatever you want, but how you convey that and how you treat other people. Uh, like just tonight, somebody uh, right before we recorded uh, saw somebody had posted a comment on there and said something about, <clears throat> um, you know, it's not helpful to call so and so a heretic or whatever. And I said, did somebody in this group call them a heretic? Because right. I didn't catch that. And they said, oh no no no, not in this group. I'm talking about you know outside the group. It it's so um, it, it's so easy to accept that somebody differs with you if they're nice about it yeah. and if they're respectful about it. So, you know, like I was for a split second, I was concerned that somebody in the group was labeling somebody else a heretic and that maybe we needed to step in and deal with that. And it turned out it wasn't in our group at all. Uh, so I was really relieved about that, but you know, it's because in all honesty, like I said, in the comment on that thread, most of us in the group have been called heretics. So yeah. it'd be kind of pointless for us to label other people <laughs> heretics. <you know? laughs> I mean, that's a label that pretty much all of us can say we've been tagged with at some point. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just, I think, I think what you and I are trying to communicate overall is the importance of saying whatever it is you have to say, but in a way that still respects and loves and honors other people, which I, I have to say in honesty, Ray, this is a philosophy that I'm seeing throughout my life in every area. This is not just about Christian community. It's it's even affecting my parenting philosophy because I have realized that what I say to my kids is it's so much more important how I convey that to them and that I make sure that I respect them as people and as human beings and treat them the way I would want to be treated. And, you know, not to get off on a whole parenting style discussion, but honestly, like the way that I was raised and probably the way you were raised, Ray, and most of us in our generation, um, there's a sense in which kids are treated as subhuman. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really respect their feelings. You just make sure that they adapt to your style, you know? Yeah. And so I, Christy and I have been learning a lot about the notion of parenting in a way that really respects and honors our kids. And it's not to say that we let them get away with everything they want to do or whatever, but at the same time, 
we don't say no just because we can. Yeah, yeah. We say no if there's a real solid reason to say no. And yeah. otherwise, we try to be very respectful of their desires and their wishes. And, you know, I, I understand a lot of people are going to disagree with that. But I just want to kind of put that out there because it's it's not what, – what I've been finding in our journey is that how we view God and our relationship with God and therefore our relationship with other believers really affects – everything in our philosophy of life yeah. it, it affects our entire world view so that like you and i've talked about this in the past that how we view god as a father is going to affect mm-hmm. how we treat our kids how we view god in terms of what happened at the cross is going to affect how we view other people and how we treat other people and how we uh, forgive other people you know that kind of stuff is it's all wrapped up in our theology and yeah. I, I don't think that you can separate them out and say, like, you know, we've always talked about the, the fact that we don't believe anymore that there's a sacred and a secular. Um, a lot of people try to draw those lines that, well, okay, yeah, I believe this about God, but I still don't have to treat other people this way. You know, I, yeah. I can believe that God loves me and forgives me, but I can still hate someone else. Yeah. You know? And I don't, I don't think we can. I think it has to, it has to permeate everything about us, or it's not really something that we believe in and hold as a conviction. Well, I think, I think you're right on because I think it's, I think it is a very holistic. Um, that there's a sense in which this really does have to be holistic, and I think what we've done, like in, in you speaking of parenting, not just with parenting, but um, in the world, in the church world, I think what we've done is we've put a high premium on obedience. And we've right. made everything about obedience, about, yeah. for instance, with parenting, it's about do your kids, you know, do they shake their head at the right time? Do they say yes? Do they say no? Do they do the right. actions that you want them to do, et cetera? And then the yeah. same thing with God. You know, we used to think the yep. same thing about God, that what he was most interested in was obedience, that it was all about mm-hmm. believing the right thing, doing the right thing, crossing the T's, right. dotting the I's, and... um you know, what we found with God is we're going, you know, it really, you know, obedience really isn't uh, the top rung of the ladder. It's mercy and it's right. love and it's compassion. And right. and that's that's really trickling down to how we interact with everyone. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. I, I'm realizing more and more that with with my kids, it's not so much about obedience in the sense of them doing what I want them to do when I want them to do it. But it's mm-hmm. about them realizing, A, that I love them, and therefore right. that whatever I tell them to do is in their best interest. And that it has nothing to do uh-huh. with a blind obedience or a, or a just right. making sure that you do what Dad says because he says it. But it's more about, right. I'm doing this because Dad really knows what's best for me. And he shows me that by his tone, by his voice, yeah. by you know his body language, that, that he mm-hmm. doesn't, you know, in the name of trying to... Uh, stop my anger that he doesn't lose his temper. Right. I mean, cause right. that's such an irony is that how we, you know, yell at our uh-huh. kids to tell them to stop yelling or, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> things like that. I mean, sometimes it doesn't hit us until I after know. the fact, but I've found myself so many times uh-huh. going, you know, the way to, the way to tell your kid to quit hitting his little brother is not to pick him up and shake him. Right. I mean, it's, you know, right, exactly. it's not <laughs> that, 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 that yeah. kind of communicates the wrong message, you know? Right. And so I think a lot of what you and I have been getting at in our conversations and, and in the things we've written online, too, is that we we really need to rethink how we communicate. Yeah. And yeah. That, that 
truth is not necessarily a set of propositions. Mm -hmm. Truth is a way of life in a sense. And love is not, love isn't just about changing people. I mean, it's not about changing people really, or about, uh, you know, whether or not we're properly enforcing tough love, but love is really about giving ourselves to people and being willing to walk with someone through a particular conversation or a journey. You know, that's why I I really, and I, I know some people in the group have seen me respond to this. One of the things that can set me off so quickly online is when I see people being mocked or ridiculed. Yeah. Because I don't think if you're if you're approaching a subject with mockery or ridicule, I don't think that you really can earn the place of being heard on a subject. You yeah. know, I, I think you yeah. shoot yourself in the foot, basically. And yeah. so one of the things I'm really sensitive to, and, and Ray, you've seen me interact with various blogs over the years in this regard, is, okay, it's okay that you guys believe what you believe, but why do you have to totally uh, berate someone or demean someone who yeah. believes differently than you? Yeah. Why can't you just show them what you're saying in a way that's loving? And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of times that turns into, well, we speak the truth in love. Yeah. And yeah. somehow then truth ends up trumping love, you yeah. know, because that always seems to me to be a little bit of a cop out of. Or almost well, being I'm, juxtaposed against love, which is like. Against love. Ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, and so love is not, it's not about just a, a warm feeling, yeah. you know, it's not about just, oh, let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But it certainly isn't let me call you names and put you down and mock you um, and, and then say, I love you. <laughs> you know? Well, that, that's one of the, that's one of the ironies. I know you and I, before we started recording, we were talking about mm-hmm. the situation developing that, yeah. right now with Fred Phelps. Um, as many of you know, the Westboro Baptist church, which is the, the um, church that founded the website, God hates fags.com uh, that picket military funerals and, and funerals of homosexual mm-hmm. people and, um, that are that basically blame homosexuality for all of the ills that have befallen America, and they go and pick at all these different places. The pastor and founder of that church, Fred Phelps, um, right now it's all over the news that he's basically on his deathbed. And yeah. what's come out among that is that uh, he's actually been excommunicated from the Westboro Baptist Church that he founded. And you know, so many, so mm-hmm. many of us have recognized. Excuse me, not not only the bad theology that I believe comes out of that place because they have a very hyper-Calvinistic um, theology that says that God predestines some to heaven pre- and predestines the majority right. to hell and the vast the majority, majority yeah. in their, in their uh, yeah. estimation, but that, that they have went so far as to, um, you know, just advocate all sorts of hateful behavior on the, on behalf of spreading that quote unquote good news. And mm-hmm. so the irony is that as, as we've seen things posted on Facebook where people are, are talking about Fred Phelps dying, it's just so mm-hmm. ironic, the outpouring of hate that we've seen in return. Um, yeah. And the fact that so many times, you know, obviously hate begets hate. You know, Martin Luther King says, right. you know, you can't overcome hate. You can't overcome hate with hate. Only love can do that. Hate can't drive out hate. Only right. love can do that. 
And, uh, you know, we've seen that in the case of the Westboro Baptist Church with Fred Phelps. I mean, this huge outpouring on so many levels of just vitriolic bitterness and anger and resentment Mm -hmm. and hate. And a lot of these people are justified in it. They, they have been hurt by the Westboro Baptist church. I've read posts from people that were marching in gay pride parades and had things thrown at them by Westboro Baptist church, um, picketers and, you know, some of the hateful things that have been said to them. And so you understand it. And simultaneously you look at it and go, you know, the irony is that this man is so hated for his mm-hmm. hatred and his judgment. Right. And the fact right. that we're heaping that hatred and judgment right back at him in the name of telling him how wrong it is for him to be hateful right. and judgmental. <laughs> That's right. I read one yeah. comment that um I I'll I'll edit my the explicit language. Oh, you don't, you don't have to, bro. You can just say it. It's okay. Fine. Just I'm, I was thinking about that iTunes rating, but I think that's been blown a long time ago, so never mind. Well, yeah. <laughs> but basically, and we don't have a we don't have a pattern in the history of being explicit. So yeah. Basically, um, I think the post. I think uh, someone in the comment section was basically saying, "I hope that uh, that judgmental son of a let's see." I'm trying to remember exactly what I said, but anyway, something to the effect of, um, go rotten hell, you judgmental son of a bitch. And it just hit me the irony. It's like, Mm -hmm. you're telling someone to rotten hell. You're passing judgment on them because you're angry that they've been passing judgment. Right. And the irony of that just struck me. And I thought, you know, this is why the message Mm -hmm. of love and nonviolence that we believe that Jesus came to reveal Mm-hmm. is so completely and totally important because it's really the only yeah. thing that can put an end to the animosity, the hatred, the bitterness, yep. the rivalry, all the things that cause us to go to war with each other, that cause us to be in conflict with each other, whether it's mm-hmm. on a on a national level, an international level, or if it's within a church or within a body of believers or within a family. You know, right. the only way we can overcome those things is through love. Mm-hmm. It is. And I think it's, there is at the same time a uh, a movement that I've seen to where some people are getting that irony and they're catching on to it and they're saying, you know what, the better response to this would be to shower the Phelps family with love yeah. and grace and to uh, maybe even symbolically, uh, not symbolically, literally, but I mean as, a, as an act of symbolism, picket his funeral when he passes with signs saying, we forgive you or God loves you or whatever. And I, I have to say, when I read that kind of stuff, that really warms my heart because yeah. I'm glad to see that there are some people getting it, that there yeah. are people who understand that I I think the right response to Fred Phelps is... God loves you. Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, at least for a while, if not still, because there's some question about where what he's really thinking at this point, but um, for a while at least, you know, he really believed in a God who hated people. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the same type of belief that, that causes Mark Driscoll to stand up and say, God hates some of you. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't love you. He only loves, you know, the elect or whatever whatever's driving that theology, there's this, this real strong belief in their minds that God actually hates people. Yeah. And I think the the way to counter that is to say, you know, I, because ironically, 
those are the kind of people that I think upset Jesus the most. And yet, I don't see anything in the the message of Jesus, even to those kinds of people, that was hatred. It it broke mm-hmm. his heart mm-hmm. to see them standing in the way of the message of love. Yeah. It broke his heart to see them. Uh, I mean, it upset him. Yes, visibly and and you know verbally, we certainly have records of where he appeared to be very upset about that. But I, I still don't think that he was preaching hatred. He wasn't saying God hates you for doing this. It was more pleading with them to stop doing it, to stop keeping people from understanding that their father loved them. Yeah. And so I, I really think that I think Martin Luther King was right. And I think he was right because he was basically quoting Jesus yeah. uh, and, and Paul in the New Testament saying you overcome evil with good, yeah. not with evil. When you return hate for hate, it just accomplishes more hate. I mean, it really, it doesn't solve anything. Yeah. Yeah. But if we can, if we can show, because I, and you know, here I go being idealistic and naive again, right? But I really think that if somehow the Phelps family could feel love, something that they probably have never really honestly felt, because let's face it, they live in fear of a God who could probably turn on them at any minute, you know? Yeah. If they don't, if they don't keep towing that line, yeah. you know, I, I think that's, I, I think that's probably part of their thinking because that's kind of the theology I grew up with, that you're never really safe. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody likes to quote that line from C.S. Lewis about Aslan. He's, you know, he's uh, not a tame uh, lion. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because the idea that like he's not really safe. You know, he's good, but he's not. You can't really feel comfortable around it. I, I disagree. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's at all the picture of God that we need to carry around with us. And so I I would love to believe, and I, and I do believe, that if, if enough people could show the Phelps family true love, that somehow it could actually win them over and change their way of thinking. They might not change their mind completely about homosexuality, and that, that's not even really the issue. Right. But if they could at least understand that God doesn't hate people. Right, exactly. And that he doesn't hate a particular subset of people, you know, just because they happen to to participate in something. Uh, how awesome would that be to see them come face to face with true love of God in their lives, something that they just haven't seen or experienced, I don't think. I think I think some of the the interesting thing is I think some of the Phelps family you know, has, they, they've left and while maybe they've not, you know, aren't participating in the Christian religion or whatever, right. you know, I, like for instance, I look at Nathan Phelps, Fred Phelps son, who's mm-hmm. now a famous atheist. You know, atheist, I look, yeah. I look at him and I look at, and I think to myself, he actually left, I think in many ways, because he, because to use the words of, uh, I can't remember if it was Martin Luther King or Gandhi, but the behavior of the Westboro Baptist church was going against the grain of the universe. You know, I mean, it was, it wasn't maybe for him, it wasn't that he saw the love of God, but simultaneously maybe he did and didn't know that's what it was. Mm -hmm. He saw a way things things should be. He saw the way Mm -hmm. things he knew, he knew in his heart that it should not be this way and therefore left. And while maybe he didn't come to a realization of the love Uh of God, I think yep. in some ways, maybe, may, you know, if you could put Westboro Baptist Church at the 
at the minus 10 of uh, <laughs> how close you are to God, God being 10, <laughs> right. then maybe yeah. I bumped him up to a minus one or a zero or right. a one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I don't, and I don't something, mean it's that. It's something that should be celebrated. Yeah. No, no, I get what you're saying. And I, I, I think it's something that should be encouraged. You know, this is, uh, this is again, one of the things I really love about our Facebook community right now, because we have people in our group who are self-proclaiming as atheists right now. You know, they're saying, I, I've been through religion. I've been through Christianity. Um, and it just doesn't feel right. There's something missing there. No, I don't. I don't criticize them at all for not coming to the same conclusions we've come to. And I don't fault them at all for thinking that, well, maybe there just isn't any God because everything that's wrapped up in their definition of God is fundamentalist Christianity or whatever, a belief of God that really isn't sustainable. And so I think like, I think the way you just described it is really awesome that in a sense, their atheism is actually getting them closer to God <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sounds really weird, but well, you know, that's then, that's a huge part were. of the whole uh, Christian atheist movement. You know, like Pete mm-hmm. Rollins mm-hmm. and all those guys basically right. that you know, you have to go through a death of God experience in order to yeah. find God in order to find the real God out on the other side that because mm-hmm. the the version of God that we've inherited is so degenerate and corrupt and bothersome that you almost have yeah. to put that God to death. And yeah. and go through a version of you know being nothing of having nothing to hold on to before you can move into a realization right. of of the true and living God you know and that's not to say when I say that I hope my our atheist mm-hmm. friends don't hear us saying that they're behind the behind us on the journey because that's not what we mean right. but, <laughs> you know obviously if we believe there's a God obviously we're going yeah. to we're going to say that you know there there's a source yeah. of love and and uh, mm-hmm. acceptance and this kind of thing that's greater than the universe itself. Yeah, and I I think you know it's weird because I never I never really thought to use that terminology when at different points in my journey I never thought of myself as an atheist or thought that I was you know putting my image of God to death or anything. But in hindsight, I can see yeah. some of the similarities to that, and and I think the journey is different for everybody because you know for some people. It's a long journey of deconstructing in a very painful way mm-hmm. and and really having to let go of some deep-seated identities that has been created by religion. You know, I, I feel in some ways like I probably haven't gone through as dark a time as some other people have. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm any better than them or any different than them, really. It's just... For me, some of that process has been a little bit more accelerated. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's like I think, too, there's there's a difference for some people. Like part of my journey, I think, was I began to realize new things about God while I was still holding on to the old God. Whereas for other people, they've had to just reject completely yeah. Yeah. any notion of God before they can even entertain a new thought about yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get that and I respect that completely. I, I don't know that I ever really went through any kind of atheistic phase. Yeah. Um, me either. Yet. I, I never. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I still will. <laughs> yeah. But, but for me, it, it really, like, as I look back, it was for every 
for every new thought I had about God, I had to peel away about three other old thoughts. You I, know? I'll, t- I'll tell you what it's felt like is it's like it's like making a, a, a batch of like double chocolate chip cookies. Oh, man, and, you had to do this. Yeah, I know. I had to do that, especially at this time of night. But make a batch of, of double chocolate chip cookies, and you've got this whole container filled with double chocolate chip cookies, and then someone tells you you've got to take all the chocolate chips out. And right. you're just sitting there, and it's like as soon as you think you're getting close to being done, you yeah. crack it open, and there's like 40 million there's more chocolate chips in it. And, and it's like by the time you get done, sometimes you look around, and all you have left are crumbs, these cookies right. that are crumbs. And sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't have anything. You know, what's left? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes it can feel that way. And I know I know I've, I've seen that sentiment expressed on more than one occasion in our Facebook group of where it's like right. I keep peeling this thing back. And I feel like mm-hmm. before long, there's not going to be anything left. And yeah, and I say to everyone that's going through that, because in many ways, I feel like I've been going through that, too. Um, mm-hmm. just to be quite candid, I feel like I've went through that a right. lot. And yeah. to everyone that's going through that, I, I just want to say, you know, be encouraged. Don't judge that part of your journey. Don't judge where right. you're at. Don't feel like you're, you're missing it or like you're like, you know, everybody else is in on some secret that you're not in on or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I just say mm-hmm. embrace, that's a good way to put it. embrace that embrace process. It. And, yeah. you know, to me, if the process really is about truth, and about uncovering truth. Right. And if I genuinely believe that Jesus is the truth, then somehow he'll come out the other end of all of this mm-hmm. deconstruction. And and w- even if I'm going through some atheistic phase or agnostic phase or, or whatever, that somehow the truth, yeah. the truth is going to come out in some, you know, somehow. And, and that's why I look at, yeah. you know, because my temptation of late of the last you know, several years has not at all been to judge anyone on the atheistic agnostic side of the journey. It's just, I I find myself judging people on the other end of the journey, the conservative fundamentalist evangelical part. That's the people that most of the time drive me crazy and I have to reel it in and go, wait, Ray, why am I so bothered by that? Those people are on the exact same journey that I'm on. And whether right. or not I want to call them in front of me or behind me, or and that's such bad terminology anyway. That's bad terminology, yeah. <laughs> because we're all on different journeys. But sometimes we can right. think, oh, those people are behind me because I can remember. For instance, I saw someone on the Facebook yeah. page recently, you know, um, talking about finished work theology. And I was just right. thinking to myself, man, I can pull you sermon tapes where I preach sermons on the finished work in the mm-hmm. mode of Kenneth uh, Hagen and E.W. Kenyon and... You know, all yep. those guys, and I and I can, I mean, I had like all my duckies in a row with finished work theology, held on to that for so long. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I hear somebody use that terminology now, and I can't hear it in the same way. And so my temptation is to shut that person down. And then it just, right. like, I feel like the Holy Spirit just moves in and goes, what are you doing? You know, you how yeah. how dare you judge someone else where they're at on the journey for all you know? They might be ahead of right. you on this journey, and that might just be one piece, the last piece of the puzzle, yeah. whereas you still have, you might have gotten rid of that one, but you still got 20 other right. pieces you need to get rid of. Yeah, and and the pieces, the pieces move in different directions and at different times for different people. So, like, it's so easy to think, oh, well, if they don't get that right, yeah, yeah. then they certainly can't be where we are. They, and this is, 
you know, one of the things, Ray, that I, I was just thinking about this the other day, and it's really funny to me that you mentioned about how you have more trouble with the fundamentalist side of things. One of the thing, thoughts that I just had yesterday or today about that, because I have the same, I'm exactly in the same boat as you. That's the hardest part for me is looking at fundamentalism and, and the the harshness that's there, you know, with their beliefs about God and everything. But I realized, you know, again, getting back to this, what, what was it that really upset Jesus? I don't see Jesus, maybe I'm wrong about this, maybe I need to go back and look at it, but I, I think that I don't see Jesus ever really coming down hard on the people who were following that teaching. He was more concerned about the people that were perpetuating that teaching. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not, I'm not calling for, you know, a a mad rush at Mark Driscoll's house to pick at him or anything. You know, it's just, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to draw a distinction in terms of how we view leaders versus followers today. But my point is that Jesus even had compassion for people who believe stuff that they just hadn't really thought through. Yeah, yeah. They were believing it because that's what they were taught. Yeah. And that's so much, whether it's people following Westboro Baptist or it's Mars Hill or it's Word of Faith or whatever, the the people that are following that teaching, I think, have just as much entitlement to compassion and kindness and graciousness from us as Absolutely. anybody. Because we were there we don't we didn't believe that stuff because we had thought it through yeah. we believed it because that's what we had been told it was yeah. and it was you know it's my favorite term of whisper down the lane theology yeah. you know you just you hear somebody tell you something about god and you embrace it and you and i went so far both of us as to stand in pulpits and teach it and i know there were times i fa- i vividly remember times standing in a pulpit preaching something and in the back of my mind going Mm. I don't think this is right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And yet it's what everybody believed. You know, it's like when I went through my ordination council in the Baptist, uh, independent Baptist church, and I had to write a doctrinal statement. I think I've shared this story with, with you at least, and, and maybe even on the podcast. I had to write a doctrinal statement for the ordination council to look at and to approve and everything. And I worked really, really hard at articulating my beliefs and the response of several of the guys on my committee was, why reinvent the wheel? You just need to copy what Charles Ryrie, which was kind of the the, uh, <laughs> the go-to pinnacle man. where I was at. Yeah, <laughs> in, the, in the system I was in. You need to copy what somebody like Charles Ryrie wrote as your statement of faith because these guys know how to articulate this stuff. I mean, think about that for a minute. The irony of that, that I wasn't capable as a pastor of telling people what I actually believed, I had to tell them what Charles Ryrie believed. And the reality is Charles Ryrie didn't get that from himself. He got that from somebody before him who got it from somebody before him. And it's just been handed down for generations. So, you know, that's that kind of, at the time I thought it was odd, but I still was like, oh, well, maybe they're onto something, you know? (laughs) But now that I look back on it, I think that's really like a great indication of the problem there is that you aren't allowed to think for yourself. And so... People are just, they're absorbing this stuff, not because they're stupid, not because they want to believe these bad things about God, but just because they don't even know there's an alternative. You know, I think the reason Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, shook people up so much is because so many people reading that never even knew that there was another way of thinking about eternity. They thought there was just one way. That's right. It was was that painting that he talked about, the painting that troubled him so much, this 
picture of these people walking across this bridge to hellfire, you know, and, and it's like, that's, that's what we grew up with. That's all we knew. And I, I even mentioned on the group the other day that I wish, I wish even annihilationism had been presented as an alternative to me when I was growing up, because that might've given me some, some room to wiggle and to think, you know, but yeah. I didn't even have that as an option. It was either eternal conscious torment in hell or universalism in the sense that all roads lead to God and it doesn't matter what you believe. Well, who wanted to believe that? That sounded like heresy, you know? <laughs> so yeah, eternal conscious yeah. torment was the only option for me. I didn't even know there were other options. And so it really, it wasn't even, honestly, until you and I did our podcasts uh, years ago where we first started talking about the possibility of ultimate reconciliation. And this was before you were there at ultimate reconciliation and I was kind of getting there, but not really sure about it. And you brought up annihilationism. I had never even really heard that view presented. And I was, yeah. what, 40 years old when you told that to me. Yeah. yeah. So people just don't even know that there are alternatives. They don't even know that there is a possibility of rethinking the God that they've been taught. So why should we fault them for being yeah. where they're at? Why should we criticize them or show them judgment or condemnation or... Uh, condescension even they they don't know any better and and I don't mean that in a condescending way you know I just they, yeah. they don't know that there is a that there is a God out there who loves them all they know is this God that they've been taught how, how much more too when we've been there ourselves you know what yeah, should really yeah. give us compassion is is you know I should be more compassionate to fundamentalist and evangelicals yeah. and conservatism than I am to yeah. atheism or agnosticism because I've never been on that end of the spectrum, but I have been on the other one. And so for me to judge those people as, you know, uh, as somehow less than or, or you know, incapable mm -hmm. of making a correct determination theologically or whatever, you know, yeah. I, I should be the last person to do that because I was the one who not only was swallowing the teaching hook, line, and sinker, but who was regurgitating it to others. So right. that in and of itself should be enough to give us some compassion for those who we might think are behind behind us on the journey, when in reality many times they aren't. Um, well, and that, that kind of begs the question, though, for me, Ray. Why do you think it is so hard for us? Do you think that in some sense we resent the fact that we yeah. were fed that? Yeah. Do you think, that think that's what's driving? It? I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it's resentment, but I think it's also a, um, I think it's a, t it's a, it's a coping mechanism on our behalf. Uh, and it's yeah, something yeah. that it's, it's something that where our mind seeks equilibrium. So it's almost like as soon as we begin to jettison those old beliefs to embrace new beliefs, we, mm -hmm. we many times confuse jettisoning the old belief with let's jettison anything associated with that old belief. So yes. any person, any ministry, any whatever that's associated with mm -hmm. that, we feel like we, by definition, have to reject them and do it vehemently in order yeah. to convince ourselves that we're no longer part of it. You know, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, because I, I do think, boy, you said coping mechanism, and that really struck me. I think that there's a sense in which uh, the codependency that we experienced in that system uh still has some tentacles yeah yeah kind of clawing its way in there and yeah. so 
um, yeah, we feel like we can't just disagree with it now. We have to fully reject it. Don't you and think everything associated with it? Don't you think that's part of it's almost like uh, it's almost like an adolescent phase. You know, it's like so many yeah. times in an adolescent phase, you see that teenagers. It's not just a fact <laughs> of I'm going to assert my independence from you, but the way that right. I assert my independence from you is by letting you know that you're an idiot and that you know nothing yes. and that I know this yep. and that you know. It's almost the same yeah. thing. It's like a. It's like. In many ways, we have to go through that adolescent, rebel- really a rebellious phase mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it's not just like, we no longer believe this, but it's more like, up yours, we no longer believe this, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? I think, it's yeah. almost, I think it's almost necessary, and that's why, that's why I try mm-hmm. and be careful. It's like, I don't want to... I recognize everybody's different places on the journey, and I recognize that a lot of people are still angry because maybe they just left the institutional church a year ago, or maybe they're in the midst of an experience with the institutional church that's got them burned out. And so they are angry and they're hurt. And many times our anger comes out of our hurt. And so, you know, I, I want to, uh, I want to fully, you know, give, give people permission to, to be angry, but I Mm -hmm. just say, it's kind of like Paul, you know, be angry and sin not. And sin not. You you can be angry and you can be angry yeah. at the institutions and you can be angry at yeah. the belief systems and the structures and the principalities and the powers of, of that entire system. But mm-hmm. we need to learn how to segregate that from the people that are doing that. For yeah. instance, like we were talking about with Mark Driscoll, you know, Mark Driscoll ha- is such a lightning rod because, you know, he does represent to so many of us uh, just such a hurtful view of the father and just bad yeah. religion in general and yet simultaneously, I find myself, it is so easy to make him the whipping boy of fundamentalist right. Christianity. And if we're not, I, I've found myself on multiple occasions just really crucifying him, you know, mm. in the name of like <laughs> crucifying him in the name of telling others that you shouldn't crucify people like he crucify. does. That's right. Right. I mean, so <laughs> yeah, it's just that it's that whole thing, you know, of you point one finger at somebody else and four pointing back yeah. at yourself. And I think yeah. a lot of this, you know, we're, we're talking earlier, you and I about the whole idea of unity. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, that's one of the things that we really struggle with in, um, uh, in a community such as ours, where we have so many people on so many different pages right. spiritually. I mean, we're all, we're all in a place of going, we're dissatisfied with what we inherited and we want to move yeah. into something more into an open spirituality that doesn't have all of these boundaries and borders. But even in that, there's so many of us that are taking all these different approaches that um, mm-hmm. it can sometimes feel tough to, to be unified. But I think that's <clears throat> what you and I have been talking about tonight is that our unity can't be based on like-mindedness and our unity can't be based right. on commonalities when in regards to theology or doctrine or all those things that our yeah. unity has to be, has to revolve around our unified love, our love and mm-hmm. tolerance and acceptance uh, for mm-hmm. others that are in different places on the journey than us. Yeah. And it, that's a, I think that's a concept that is very distinct from what we have been taught for years about unity. Now, yeah. you know, I mean, you think about, when you and I'm going to pick a little bit on the church structure here, and that's I don't I don't know how sure. to avoid talking about it in this context, but which is completely acceptable, I think. Yes, it's, <laughs> you accept that in me, don't you? Uh, the when you quote unquote join a church, 
I don't know why I just used air quotes because this is audio only. <laughs> I can, can see, see them. Me on, you can see me on Skype, so I'm going to do my air quotes. When you when you join a church, it's based around saying I agree to these beliefs. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's a doctrinal statement, um, and then it's a covenant of this is how I'm going to live this out in this community, and so it's it's really a unity based on propositions. Mm-hmm. Not just the doctrinal statement, but even the church covenant that most churches expect you to sign or require you to sign. Um, or you have to go through a class of some sort, you know, in order to to say, okay, we, we understand what the church teaches. We agree with that. We agree not to teach anything different than this or whatever. That's their definition of unity. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you or I walk in there. And we can't agree with everything that they believe. And so there is no way for us to join that community. There's no way for us to uh, officially, and that's why I'm using the air quotes when I say join, because, you know, it's not not about we're going to experience life together or we're going to walk through trials together or we're going to help each other when they're down or when they need it or when they're financially, whatever. It's about, first and foremost, we believe these things in common. And yeah, I think that's yeah. where it, the train immediately jumps off the track for me. I'll give you a good example. And I'm debating in my mind whether or not to say the name of the organization. I think I'll leave it out. They're, they're, because there are actually a couple of these organizations. Um, in the healthcare arena, there are a couple Christian organizations whose... I think have a terrific idea that they're living out. And that's basically, you know, based on some ideas in the book of Acts and everything of sharing all things in common and no one having need among them. They are spreading out healthcare costs among their members. And so you join this organization and when you have a medical need, you submit your need to the organization and, and literally the members are told then, okay, write your monthly check because they have a monthly amount, just like every healthcare premium, you know, would be uh, insurance premium, write your check to so-and-so and mail it to them at this address. And so every month you're sending money directly to somebody in need and helping share the medical costs of the, of that community, which I think is an awesome idea. Yeah. So, and, and it actually uh, under, I'm sorry to our international listeners to bore you with all this stuff, but in the U.S. here, under the whole, quote-unquote, Obamacare system of required insurance, these health share cost, health cost sharing organizations qualify as fulfilling the individual mandate uh, for the requirement of the U.S. government that you have to have insurance. So anyway, we contacted this org- one of these organizations to join and found out that not only did they have a statement of faith, which, okay, I can understand that. And it's a very basic statement of faith. I'm still, we did a podcast about this before. I'm still very uh, reluctant to sign statements of faith to be yeah. part of an organization. But, okay, even overlooking that, they have these requirements that you have to agree to. And one is you have to get a letter of recommendation from your pastor. <laughs> and <laughs> And the other is that you have to agree to attend church at least three out of four weeks every month. Really? And I, I 
I could come up with all kinds of explanations of how I fulfill that in spirit, <laughs> again, with the right. air quotes, <laughs> right, versus right. the letter of the law. But you know what? It doesn't count for them. And they wouldn't even discuss it with me. And so I, I contacted them several years ago about it and said, you know, I'd like to join, but here are my concerns, and this is where we're at. And at the time, Ray, this was a time where you and I were both living in Boone still, and uh, I actually was part of a community that was meeting pretty much on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't it didn't fit the definition of church, and we didn't have a pastor to sign. And so I even offered some alternatives. I said I could have, you know— a gentleman in the community that I respect very much as my elder, uh, and you know who I'm talking yeah. about, a mutual friend that we've met with in the past. Uh, I could have him sign for me. You know, our community does meet often, and I meet with them every chance that we get, but, we, you know, we don't have a regular, necessarily a regular meeting schedule. Anyway, I just, I didn't get anywhere with them. And so I let it go for a while. And then a couple years later, a friend of mine was blogging about health share health cost sharing and he mentioned this exact same organization and he was singing its praises because he qualified for it and was able to join. <laughs> and so I commented on his blog post and I said, you know, this is great and I'm happy for you, but it's really interesting that I could not join because of these reasons. And I said and I sent a letter to them requesting the ability to talk through this and they wouldn't respond to me. Well, it turns out that I don't know if he was the CEO, but anyway, one of the top dogs in that organization happened to be a friend of this guy posting the blog huh. post and saw my comment. And he commented publicly on there and he said, Steve, I'm really sorry you had that experience. Email me at this email address and I'll be happy to answer your questions for you. And so I thought, wow, this is really cool. And so I emailed him all of my questions and I never got a response. Wow. Wow. And that just really, it really disappointed me, Ray, because uh -huh. basically I was feeling like I was being told, because you won't jump through these hoops, yeah, we're not interested in you being a part of your our organization, even though I consider myself in the same body of Christ they're in, and yeah. I feel like spiritually I would qualify completely to participate in that kind of sharing. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, it's like... That wow. I say all of that to build this example that what we have known for decades, really our entire lives as unity, is what I would now term an artificial unity. That it's a unity yeah. based on artificial constructs yeah. that don't really get to the heart of what unity is. And here's the irony now. So we're... we're um, part of an organization called full-time families which is uh, families like us who live all the time in motorhomes or rvs and travel around and so we have our own you know community of like-minded uh, rvers and the subject of health care comes up frequently because it's hard to get health care when you're traveling now yeah. you know, if you're if you're in any kind of a provider network and you're traveling all over the country you can never find people in your network you know and quite a few of the people in our organization are christians and quite a few of them use this particular health care cost-sharing organization that I'm talking about. And so every once in a while, it'll come up in that Facebook group, you know, what do you do for health care? And somebody will say, name of organization that I'm not naming. And this discussion will ensue. And I always jump in there and I say, 
But keep in mind, they have these requirements, and it's really hard to fulfill these requirements when you're traveling on the road all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just really interesting because several people have somehow managed to get around it because they still consider themselves to be members of an institutional church. And they're still in contact with their pastor, air quotes wow. again. Wow. And so they're they're able to jump through the hoops easier than I was, even though I feel like what you and I have been pursuing is even a more true sense of community, if I could say it that way, and relationship in Christ than what the church has to offer. You know, it, it it's such a it's such a hard, hard balance because on the one hand, you see where they're coming from and the fact that they're trying to make sure that there's some level of accountability that you can accountability. be trusted to hold, up, yep. to hold up your end of the bargain. <laughs> so it's like on the one hand, you understand that. Right. And on the other hand, yep. you're going, you know, it's very exclusionary. But this is, the, yeah. this is the thing that I've been wrestling with for a number of years now. I know um, Richard Beck in his book, Unclean, really mm-hmm. put his finger, I think, on the pulse talking about that we have this really tough balancing act that I don't know that anybody's really figured out yet of how do you, how do you open your arms and welcome to everyone and simultaneously Mm -hmm. create a distinct identity as, as the body of Christ. So it's like Mm -hmm. by definition to be the body of Christ is you have to, to fit some criteria. <laughs> right, right, right. Or it, it's like you, you can't be the non-body of Christ and be the body of Christ. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's yeah. like, it's like you know, things like communion, you know. Mm-hmm. You look at something like communion, and it's like, that's a perfect example of everyone's welcome to the table, and yet it's the body mm-hmm. of Christ that you're partaking of. So. Right. There's this there's this simultaneous sense of openness and acceptance for all, and an exclu- right. and an exclusiveness of this is the body of Christ. It's not right. another body, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So it's hard. I don't know. I don't know where the, you know, especially for us when we're in this really amorphous. Uh, mm-hmm. Community made up of all mm-hmm. sorts of different things. It's like. You know, I'm still asking myself the question, you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And by being a follower of Jesus, doesn't that necessitate by definition that I'm not a follower of all of these other things? And it doesn't mean that I can't glean from, um, Mm -hmm. for instance, I can glean from Buddha. I can glean from Krishna. I can glean from all these other things. But at the end of the day, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not a follower of all of those at the na- end of the day. For me, mm-hmm. Jesus is my Lord, which mm-hmm. by definition is an exclusive, you know, there's, there's an exclusivity there. So that's the, okay. All that in a nutshell is to say, how do we balance the ex- the exclusivity of Christ with the universality of Christ? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's such a tightrope that I think the reason that we in our community that we're talking about, mm-hmm. the reason that we have to approach it with love is because I don't know how easy it is to answer that question. And so for me, yeah. I leave, I'm leaving it wide open because I'm going, you know what? I, I can look in the group and go, I think this person airs on the exclusivity side, or I think this person airs on the universal mm-hmm. side. 
And yet mm-hmm. I think they're supposed to both be there, but I can't name any of us that I think are walking right down the center because I don't know where that's at. Right. You know what right, I'm saying? Exactly. So that, that yeah, leaves me yeah. outside of the realm of being able to really judge, which partly is the point and simultaneously is like, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's a, t- it's, it's a tough thing. But I, and I know, so, I know some people yeah. would talk about the ego and talk about how, you know, right. by us establishing an identity, that is the problem. When we establish an identity, we are by definition putting ourselves over and against another identity. And therefore that's mm-hmm. the whole problem is that we should lose all identities. And yet Mm-mm. simultaneously yeah. I go, if we're finding our identity in Christ, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just a real, I, I struggle with this. I've wrestled with this for a number of years and I've not gotten any yeah. closer to an answer. <laughs> no. And, and, and I'm with you. I, and I, you know, I worry sometimes when we talk about this, I think, are we even succeeding at this in the group? And I, I'm thinking of some key situations that have happened that I don't want to, I don't want to bring them up to rehash them in terms of, uh, trying to like present our case or anything. Sure. I don't want to call out names. So I'm going to be really delicate about this. But <laughs> Steve. He, yeah. I'm just kidding. No, call out names. Uh, <laughs> I figured that was yeah, one name I could call out without anybody getting offended. That's <laughs> right. Right. So, right. right. That's right. Oh, yeah. I didn't want people to know I was talking about you, right? <laughs> when I say that. Um, so he, here's the thing. What I have tried to present, and you and I both have tried to present this. Sometimes I've been uh, the more vocal one uh, in actually articulating this, but what what we have tried to present is not that we determine who's in and who's out but i prefer to put the ball in the hands of the other person and say do you feel like this is really the group for you mm, mm. because i think i think the problem comes when we either have a checklist mm. or uh some kind of agreement that uh, people can say, okay, I meet these requirements, therefore I'm in the group. Yeah. And and when you do it that way, then you or I or whoever, whatever group we're talking about, whoever happens to be, quote unquote, in charge, is able to enforce that then. Mm-hmm. And to say, no, you don't qualify. Like this health cost sharing group I was talking about. They have their rules. They say, you have to be this, this, this. And if you don't answer these questions in the right way, we say you're not part of our group. Yeah. So, okay, that's one way of approaching it. But what I'm trying to to put forth, and I think this might be part of the answer that you and I are looking for, maybe. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. And, I, and I'm really opening this up to the community, too, to feedback on this and, and pushback if necessary. I I have said on, the, on a number of occasions that I, you and I don't kick people out of the group. Yeah. We don't we don't remove someone from the group. We haven't yet, other than obvious spammers. You know, when somebody comes into the group and posts about Ray Ban sunglasses on sale. <laughs> hey, know, wait a minute, uh, Ray Ban sunglasses. <laughs> oh yeah. Are you telling me yeah. you're wanting to ban Ray? Is this a secret yes. message, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I never. I thought got about it, Steve. That. Okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's funny. That's really funny. Was that a Freudian wow. slip there, that's, Steve? It was a Freudian, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm wanting to ban Ray from the group. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, 
you know, so obvious spammers, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. That has nothing to do with religious or theological or spiritual reasons for kicking somebody out of the group. They're not interested in being there anyway. They're trying to make a buck. Yeah. But in terms of some of the people who have left the group, my, my attempt all along has been to say, you know, look, again, I don't, I don't care if you differ with us theologically. That's not the issue. But if you're going to continue to present your views in this way, yeah, yeah, that that runs counter to the atmosphere that we're trying to cultivate here. Yeah, exactly. And so, I have, and it it has worked so far. So pragmatically, I think we're onto something. But I don't know if it would always work this way. But what we have done, Ray, is you and I have said, you need to think about why you're in this group. Yeah. And think about what you expect this group to be, because I think conflict almost always comes from expectations that are not met. So, you know, if I have conflict with someone, it's because I expect them to behave or act in a certain way that they don't. If I have conflict with yeah. my kids, it's because they're doing something that I don't expect them to do or they're not doing what I expect them to do. That really is a bigger issue for me then, because it's my expectations that aren't being met. And I've got to figure out why am I upset about that? So if somebody comes into the group and they start acting in a particular way that's, you know, turning people off or whatever, then I have to say, what what do you want this group to be? What do you think it's about for you? And if how you're behaving and how you're acting toward people is consistent with what you think the group is, then we can talk about that. But if you know this group is meant to be something else and you're continuing to act in this way, yeah. Then you need to ask yourself, maybe this, is this really the group for me? Is this yeah. where I need to be? And so far in the cases where that has come up and those questions have been raised, those people have finally chosen to leave. You know, you're bringing you know, up you know. a, you're bringing up a really, really, really good point. Cause like, as well, your first time in six years of podcasting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> eureka eureka steve found it um, yeah, that's right. but it's like no, no what you're saying even as you're saying that it's really resonating with me in thinking about how jesus did things you know mm-hmm. all of these people left jesus at different times yeah but he allowed them to leave he never told yep. someone to get away from him people mm-hmm. left as a result of things he said or as a, you know when he when he mm-hmm. talked about you know if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life right. in you. And then, you know, those people left and he was like, okay, well, if this is too hard for you guys, you know, you guys can leave too, if you want to. It's like, yeah, he basically had an open hand where anybody yeah. who wanted to walk in could walk in and anyone who wanted to mm-hmm. walk out could walk out. And it was really, it was in the eye of the beholder. And if you could, Oh my goodness, if, Ray, the book of revelation where it says the gates will never be shut. Think about that. What you just said about yeah. who, anybody that wants to walk in yeah. can walk in, and whoa, dude, go on. I'm sorry. That just that suddenly just jumped out at me. No, no, no. Uh, we we lost connection there for a second. So I, oh, okay. sorry, I, I was just it. looking at a frozen picture of your face. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're talking, I'm sorry. You're talking about the so walking sorry. in and out of the gates in Revelation, like the the, the gates would. Yeah, never that be just shut. jumped out at me when you talked about the open hand. I mean, it's, that's that's really the yeah. character of God, isn't it? I, I really think. I really think. Uh, you know what you're saying that's just that's just really resonating with me that there's this mm-hmm. that there's this openness in the kingdom of god and and even here's another one the parable that jesus tells the parable of the tares the wheat and the tares the wheat right. grows up with the tares 
And the natural yep. human inclination is to say, you know, the the the, better the servants there. of the master in that parable, they go to the master mm-hmm. and say, don't you want us to to pull up all the tares so that just the wheat remains and the wheat can grow and, you know, all the right. all the energy of the soil is not being given to the uh-huh. tares? And he says, no. He says, let the tares and the wheat grow until the final day, and then I'll sort it out. You don't need to sort it mm-hmm. out. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think, wow, that that is maybe more the Jesus way than I was even thinking because it's like Mm. he's basically modeled for us that it's not our job to determine who's in or who's out on any level, but to simply leave the doors open to let those who will, you know, the spirit and the bride say, come to let those Uh come who will. And And those who want to depart can depart at any time. See, and so what, what we're getting at, Ray, and this is where I think the, the whole model turns the, the traditional model upside down. It's not someone in charge saying who's in and who's out. It's each person having the responsibility to say I'm in or I'm out. And yeah, it really, yeah. it, it yeah. puts, like for example, and again, I'll go back to this example of the health care cost sharing. If that organization were to say, Here's what we're about. If you can come in partnership with that ministry, with that mission, if that's where your heartbeat is, then you're welcome to be a part of us. If you want, if you feel like you want to be part of an organization yeah. that shares the cost of medical expenses and you're willing to do that, then this is for you. But instead, they yeah. say, no, no, you got to jump through our hoops. So they're the ones defining who's in and who's out. And then in that sense, I feel like they're saying if you're not like this, you're not really in the body of Christ. I mean, I that that sounds a little bit extreme, and I and I I think if they were backed into a corner, they would say no, 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 no. We don't we don't believe that at all. But that's kind of what it boils down to is that mm. I'm not qualified in their mind to share in carrying the load of the rest of the body because I don't fit their definition of what a good body member looks like, you know? And so I have no way of of presenting myself as part of that body. You know, it's kind of like um, when we were in the institutional church, you know, some some churches practiced closed communion and others practiced open communion. And closed communion was the idea that if you weren't, you know, part of that church or at least of Mm -hmm. that denomination, then you were not welcome to, to receive the bread and the wine or, you know, grape juice if yeah. you were in, in one of the yes, uh, right. more, <laughs> more conservative varieties, which I was. In fact, the denomination I'm thinking of that practices close communion uses grape juice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so it would have been the bread and the grape juice, but uh, I digress right. anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Me too. Then, then you had, you know, churches that were, that, that served to open communion where basically if you mm-hmm. were, if you wanted to partake of communion and you, you know, yeah. you were a believer in Jesus, you wanted to come to the table it didn't matter what denomination or what stripe you were of. Right. And I think in many ways that that's the model that Jesus gave is just an open table of fellowship where people can come from whatever direction they want to come. Kind of like Jesus mm-hmm. talked about, you know, in the kingdom of God, people will come from north, south, east, and west to partake of the table yep. in the kingdom of God. So therefore, uh-huh. you leave it open. And anybody yep. can seat themselves at the table at any time, and anybody can get up and leave at any time. But the one thing you can't do is excommunicate someone from that table. The one thing you can't do is to tell someone to leave that table. Now, of course, this begs the question about a lot of the things you see in the New Testament, such as Paul 
you know, in Corinthians, turning the brother over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's all sorts of, you know, doctrinal questions that we could ask ourselves (laughs) about it. But I think the general principle is that that there's an open table in the kingdom of God and that that's really what we're trying to model in our community is, hey, this is... This is an open conversation. You're mm-hmm. completely welcome here. The only thing we ask mm-hmm. is that you don't kick each other under the table, that you right. don't <laughs> you don't pour food on somebody's head, you know, that you yeah. just have some basic manners and you can pretty much you can put out on the table whatever you want to. It's all about the spirit in which it's done. Yes, and we even do allow food fights from time to time. I'm looking at you Torkelson <laughs> and John Brooks. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a lot of fun that takes place too, um, but yeah, I think and you know even in the context of communion like you're talking about, Paul says let a man examine himself. He doesn't say to examine each other, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So see, this is the this is the thing I'm getting at is that I think we need to in a sense free people up to be their own judge, yeah, and yeah. to determine whether or not they're part of the community, and yeah, you know because the reality is. If you go into a place and, you know, like if I were to go into, a, let's say, a biker bar, um, I, I might enjoy a drink or two. But before too long, I'm probably going to get up and walk out. Not because I have anything against bikers or drinking, but because I just don't really fit in in yeah. that organization, you know, in that crowd. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not a biker and I don't I don't understand what they're talking about. And, you know, I might try to learn a few things. I might hang out just for curiosity's sake. But Chances are that's not going to be a place that I go every night to hang out because I'm I'm just not. Yeah, that's not that's not really who I am, and I can recognize that. I don't need the bikers to throw me out the door and say you don't belong here, kid. Get out, you know. So, in a sense, I think if we if we give people the freedom to be themselves and to make those decisions themselves, then I think uh, I think they'll come to those conclusions on their own. Which really, honestly, Ray is a big part of everything that you and I have talked about for years yeah. is letting people think for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is, <clears throat> you and I have had a situation come up here recently and, and I don't think we're breaking any trust by, by saying this, but um, you know, you and I had advertised on our Facebook page that we were both going to be part of an upcoming book that was um, going to be yeah. a compilation written on uh basically living life in Christ outside the institutional church and just some different right. topics surrounding that. And you and I were both asked mm-hmm. to write a chapter for that book that's come out in the fall. And so mm-hmm. we both submitted our chapters and um, I, I kind of had, a, I kind of had a feeling early on that because one of the things that was given in the, in the lead up to us writing the chapters was that this book should really focus on, on unity and unifying um, each right. other. And this is one of the reasons you and I have been thinking so much about unity in the last number of weeks is because we've been kind of mm-hmm. fleshing out the situation. But anyway, um, the idea was, you know, that you were, that we really wanted to focus on areas of agreement and not disagreement, et cetera. And I was mm-hmm. asked to write a chapter on forgiveness and, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things intrinsic to my understanding of forgiveness is the nature of the atonement and the idea that, the atonement right. is not, you know, the father punishing the son so that he can forgive me. And it's that, that, it, right. that justice is not about restitution or excuse me, about um, retribution, retribution, but about mm-hmm. restoration. And so, you right. know, I, I wove that through the chapter, even though the main point of the chapter was not, 
combating penal substitutionary atonement, the main the main idea of the chapter was, you know, that we should forgive as God forgives us, which is completely free, no strings attached, etc. And I was simply mm-hmm. using penal yeah. substitution to to try and say, look, we've for a long time believed that God forgives with strings attached, but we need to kind of get over that because we're not going to forgive freely until we believe God freely forgives us. So anyway, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that in, that <laughs> ensued point. in a number of emails and back and forth between mm-hmm. the publisher and the editor and, and us in saying, you know, I don't think that this chapter is really going to work because you're, you know, you're coming out against penal substitutionary atonement, which is, uh, you know, a pretty big linchpin in a number of people's theologies. And, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I knew that, I knew that going in, but anyway, they, they ended right. up, you know, pulling the chapter. They, they asked me to make some edits to it. Um, to take that out, and I wasn't willing to do so just for in, mm-hmm. for my own integrity and trying to really represent what I believe. Um, but we well, really because came you to felt agreement like you, that you can't talk about it with without you can't talk about forgiveness in your from your perspective without having to deal with that issue of the atonement. Exactly, right? exactly, saying? and th- yeah. and that's what I yeah that's what I tried to communicate to them was that I just couldn't. So it's not like you're just being that, stubborn that, and say I'm not going to rewrite the chapter. You know exactly. Exactly. And, and I, you know, and, and the editor of the book really understood and said, you know what, I think you're right. Because at first he'd asked me to rewrite the chapter, but he said, you know, I think you really are right from what you're telling me. It would be impossible for you to write about forgiveness apart from going down this road of demonstrating that, that it is Mm -hmm. free, which is going to require you to critique some of the atonement theories that we've embraced in the past. So anyway, in all of that situation, and we, and we to to sum the story, the the illustration up, you know, we we really came to an agreement just to, uh, that I'm not going to write a chapter for the book, and they're going to find someone else to do it. And you know, yeah. I I wish them all the best. I'm thankful that your chapter is going to be in there because I think it's going to mm-hmm. really, I think it's uh, just a great look at really laying down our lives for for each other and for mm-hmm. others and. And um, I think you had a lot of good things to say in there. So I'm glad that your chapter is going to be in there. But anyway, in saying all that, it really opened up some thoughts about atonement for me. And, you know, it really mm-hmm. hit me that there was three approaches that we can take to unity. Did I say atonement? Mm-hmm. I meant unity. Sorry. Yeah, um, unity, there, yeah. there were three three approaches that we could that we could take to unity. And that typically what we do is we either take the, the conservative approach, which is very homogenous and, and promotes this uniform uniformity of belief where the way that we're unified is that we all sign off on the same belief system Mm -hmm. and where any kind of divergence from that belief system is considered an interruption to that unity. And therefore you're Mm -hmm. outside of the group and you're ostracized. And so, you know, perfect example is like the Westboro Baptist church we're talking about. If you're not walking lockstep, with that belief system, then you're considered to be outside the bounds of the church. Then exactly. it seems like the other end of the spectrum on a, in a more liberal environment, we tend to downplay the things that are distinctive in our belief systems. We downplay our distinctives in the name of unity. It's almost like we have to cover mm-hmm. up what makes us unique or those things that are important to us. We have to downplay them and act like they're not as important in the name of having this sense of unity. When in reality, yeah, we all get together, but none of us are really being holy and truly ourselves because we feel like there's yeah. a part of us that we have to hide in the name of of unity. And and kind of my my thought has been, 
in recent days and seeing this thing with the book play out is, you know, unity really has to be something that is like a third way, a third option that says, okay, I'm not going to, I I don't want people feeling like they have to walk lockstep with me. And simultaneously, Mm -hmm. I don't want to hide my light under a bushel. So Mm -hmm. I want to be completely and wholly me while allowing you to be completely and wholly you. And I want to, I want to be able to uh, celebrate my distinctives and the things that I believe in your presence, Mm -hmm. even though you might disagree with them. I want you to accept me where I'm at. And simultaneously, I don't want to force my distinctives down your throat. I want our distinctives to completely be on the table where we can talk about them, we can hash them out, and we can discuss them in love. Because at the end of the Mm day, many times if we can do that in love, some of our distinctives are going to change, which has happened in in our relationship, Steve, is that our belief structures have changed because you and I have not been afraid to lay all our cards on the table. I I can Mm -hmm. still remember one of the first times we got together you know, you asked me what I believed about eschatology. And at that time, you know, I was still in the premillennial dispensationalist camp, (laughs) um, you know, and, but, but when you asked me, I had an opportunity to withdraw and there was a temptation to Uh withdraw and just say, because I knew when you, when you start going down another road, just to say, you know, this isn't that big a deal. I'm just going to let it go. But instead we put all our cards on the table and talked about it Mm -hmm. and didn't judge each other and didn't, but put food for thought out there. And as a result, I ended up changing. And, Mm. you know, I think that's, uh, if we're going to talk about how we have unity in the body of Christ, I think we've got to find that third way that doesn't enforce conformity and that doesn't hide who we are. Yeah, and that's that's precisely the the times when I see that happen in our Facebook group is when I get the most excited about the idea that this community can actually work, because I I think you articulated that beautifully those three ways and the first way that you mentioned the the conformity to belief uh, is what I labeled earlier as artificial unity. I think you know even though everybody thinks that they're unified on that, it's a it doesn't require it doesn't even require honesty to be in unity, you know, cause you can, you can sign off on anything, you know, you can say, Oh yeah, I believe that. And maybe inside you really don't, but you, you just jettison it for, you know, whatever purposes to be a part of the group. Um, and I think the, the other extreme that you talked about is, I, I think there's a temptation to go that route of let's just forget our distinctives and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yeah. Um, but Ultimately, and while there are moments maybe where that plays out in legitimacy, ultimately that doesn't help because it it causes people to feel like they can't be true to themselves. Yeah. And so, like, one of the refrains that I keep emphasizing in our group is you're safe here. It's safe. You yeah. know, it's people will pour their hearts out. And sometimes I cringe thinking, oh, I hope so-and-so doesn't jump on that topic or whatever, you know, because I know the strong feelings on either side of the spectrum. Like one of, one of the areas that's actually kind of challenging in our group right now, Ray, and you and I have both been participating in these conversations, is there are quite a few of us who have experience in the charismatic and word of faith movements. And some of us are still rather sympathetic in some ways to those areas, and other people have wanted to just reject it as complete 
you know, uh, fakery or whatever. And I, I recognize the strong feelings in those areas, but I think that, again, the best conversations are where we're able to acknowledge where we're at on each of those topics mm-hmm. and yet still respect and uh, accept others where they're at. So that's that, not – go ahead. I was just going to say that was one of the things that um, I know Paula the other day on the uh, Facebook page, I just so appreciated. She she came and she, she just started talking about being led by the Spirit and how – she felt like maybe mm-hmm. she was on the outs on the outskirts because it felt like everybody was moving past that yeah. and, and that she still yeah. very much was there. And I was right. so appreciative of her, uh, of her honesty and her yeah. um, courage to put that Me out too. there, feeling like she's going against the grain. And the irony was that she found out that there was so many of us that were like, you know, I've been feeling the exact same way because you and yeah, I have been yeah, exactly. what she didn't realize is that you and I behind the scenes were talking about the exact same thing that there was this like uh-huh. almost descent into nothing but intellectualism where yeah you know life in the spirit and being led by the spirit didn't matter and it was just so yeah. it was so refreshing to see someone put their cards on the table and say mm-hmm. I'm just not feeling like I'm getting it am I missing something yep. and being able to talk right. that through you know yeah, exactly. And that that's that's what we need. I think that because you know, you like you said and this is a really good point to remember that sometimes when we talk about things openly like that, we actually can find ourselves shifting and changing our thoughts and our beliefs. And the just that sense of like in our relationship, the fact that I know I can tell you any crazy theological or religious belief that I come across and think might possibly be true. And you're not going to reject me over it. You know, like I remember, uh, and and I don't want to freak people out by bringing this topic up because we don't have time to hash out the topic itself. So just everybody relax about this. But I remember the first time I said to you, Ray, I'm really questioning why we believe in the deity of Jesus. And I don't know if you even remember that conversation. I think we were at your house for dinner, your old house in North Carolina, which was years ago, but, uh, I just kind of said that out loud, like, because I felt safe with you to say, I'm really, I'm wrestling with this. Like, why is that such an important doctrine? Is it an important doctrine? And why have we made it such a linchpin of, of Christianity to, to have to believe that Jesus is divine, you know? And so, and, and I'm, it's been an interesting journey for me on that, but having the freedom to, just put that out there, even though yeah. I don't think you even were remotely close to thinking what I was thinking about it, but you were like, okay, you know, it's yeah. still a big deal for me, but I, I, I understand, you know, I mean, it was just, it was so accepting. And, um, yeah. so I think that that's, that's really a, a big part of unity is learning to, uh, you know, like I said, allow the, the individual to determine whether or not they're part of that community. And then all the rest of us in the community accepting that individual where they're at and saying, you don't have to conform to be a part of this. You don't have to articulate things the same way I do. You know, like every once in a while people will say, well, what does it really mean to be beyond the box? And for you and I, it started as a metaphor for being outside institutional Christianity. Um, It's interesting to see the concept of being beyond the box take on different meanings, even for people in the group. So that some people for them beyond the box is I'm an atheist now, 
I'm beyond the box of theism, you know, or I'm beyond the box of the inerrancy of scripture, or I'm beyond the box of word of faith or whatever, like the box is different for everybody. And so being beyond the box is different for everybody. And we all just kind of come together as a bunch of misfits who have been cast out by a lot of different organizations. And we say, you know what? We value each other. We value this community. We value safety in being able to express ourselves. And when it all comes down to it, I know that that's a place that I can be true to myself. And somehow in the process of being true to myself, I actually learn more about myself and I learn more about each other, you know? And so it's, it's this, this constant, uh, growth process that we go through, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think that's important. Absolutely. I think we're probably gonna have to wrap this up, bro. It's getting late. And I'm not sure how much longer our connection is going to hold out here. Uh, we're both experiencing some slowdowns, I think. But uh, did you have any closing thoughts you wanted to add to this? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that uh, these conversations are always beneficial to me in helping me really clarify kind of uh, where I'm at and my thoughts. And, and um, you know, when it comes to this whole subject of unity, I feel like now... I'm further down the road than I was entering this conversation. And that's always, yeah. you know, that's always, uh, that's always a win-win for me because I feel like you and I have this relationship where, like you were saying, we've really been able to bounce things off of each other and mm-hmm. feel like we can do that outside of the risk of being judged or ostracized. And right. I think both of us just have such a desire to see this community experience the exact same thing. So, Hopefully yeah. these episodes can ser- can can serve to be um baby steps on the way to all of us doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's awesome. Well, it's been great chatting with you again, bro, and uh always good to podcast with you. Really enjoy hanging out with you in this way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's let that uh outro give all the information. We don't have to do it anymore. Woohoo! I know, it's great. (laughs) Y'all take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Box. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Box. We would love to connect with you online, and we have several ways for you to add your voice to the Beyond the Box community. To join our Facebook group, visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash BTB podcast discussion. This group is a safe place to talk about your journey and to think through your walk with God. While you're there, you can like our Facebook page to receive updates on new podcasts and happenings at facebook.com slash beyond the box. You can also visit our website, beyondtheboxpodcast.com, where you can hear all of our previous podcast discussions, submit ideas for future episodes, check out our blog, and even call us to leave your audio comment or idea. Look for the Call Me widget on the right-hand side of the screen where you can enter your name and phone number to have our answering machine call you, or you can call us directly at 626-24-NO-BOX. That's 626-246-6269. However you choose to connect with us, we just hope you do. You are a welcome part of the community that is... Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box. Beyond the Box.